power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Aren't you glad of that? Boy, I can't even scheme it out myself. Would you join me in Esther chapter 4 tonight? Esther chapter 4. We've worked through some uh, I have a question messages. By the way, it's good to have some of our school families with us. Make yourself at home. We're so glad to have you with us, and I appreciate them joining us for this occasion tonight. This is going to be a tradition for us moving forward. As the last Sunday before school starts, we have a dedication night where we give the year to the Lord, and uh, we're thankful to have that tradition beginning this year. We began with uh, the first question. By the way, if you don't know this, these are questions that I've been asked over the years as a pastor. I uh, pastored for five years in Alabama. I've been here 11. So this is 16 years of, of questions. And these are the ones that most frequently come, uh, come to my attention. The first one was, Pastor, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? That's the most important question right there. How do I know that I'm saved? Then, how do we know we're right? It's a valid question. How do we know that we're right? Then, this is, one, and this is only because it gets asked so frequently. I didn't enjoy this message at all, but what happens when a baby dies? What happens when a baby dies? And then the next week, what happens when a believer dies? Um, message five, will what I love here be there? Now, that's actually a combination of questions. I've gotten questions, will my pet be in heaven? Will I be able to do the things that I love here in heaven? And, you know, like golf and hunting and things like that. And then, will my favorite foods be in heaven? So we subtitled that one, Pets, Pastimes, and Pasta. <laughs> Message number six, how do I discern the will of God? Now, we know there's a general will for all of us. We ought to tell people about Christ, ought to read our Bible, ought to pray and all that. But we're talking about specifically, how do I discern God's will for my life? Last week, we asked this question, is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? We talked about what the Bible says about abstinence, social drinking, drunkenness, and so forth. Now, next week, it's another one of those messages that combines several different questions and we put it under this how do I keep my temple Paul tells the Corinthians that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit how do I keep my temple and the three questions that I'm asked about regarding the temple is where the Bible is on cremation smoking and tattoos so we call that incineration inhalation and ink we'll cover that next week Lord willing but tonight, as we find ourselves in Esther chapter 4, the question before us is, why do we need a family life center? Now, admittedly, this question is relatively new in my ministry. When I was in Alabama, I was not pushing to build a family life center. Much smaller church and no Christian school. Um, we really, frankly, didn't have need of one. So this is a relatively new question, but it does, it does come across my desk from time to time. And tonight, I have two objectives that I want to I focus on. First is this. We want to answer a question that's, admittedly, it's fair. If we're talking about anywhere between 2 and $3 million, it's fair to ask this question, do we really need this? That's fair. 
But then also what I'd like to do is to present a vision, a renewed vision, because admittedly COVID and the time after that kind of knocked us off of it a little bit, and that's to renew the vision for the Family Life Center, both for our church family and for our school families, to see what, what the Lord has begun to lay on my heart about this and has been for a while. Tonight is not going to be a clean expository message. It just doesn't lend itself to that. But I want to start in Esther chapter 4 and verse number 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Esther 4 verse 13. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. To give you some background, if you're not familiar with the story of Esther, the wicked Agagite Haman, who hates the Jews, has manipulated the Persian king Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes, into issuing a proclamation that would result in the slaughtering of all the Jews of the kingdom. His queen is a woman named Esther, a Jew who was once known as Hadassah, and the king is unaware that she's a Jew. Best we can tell, Haman unaware that she was a Jew. In fact, it seems the only person of any, of any importance that knew she was a Jew was Mordecai. Her uncle Mordecai has achieved his own notoriety within Xerxes' administration, and he reaches out to her and seeks to convince her to use her position to influence the king and to stave off this slaughter. Now, it comes with a good bit, good bit of uh, danger, though. If you approach the king without him holding forth his scepter, you're in danger of capital punishment under Persian law. And he's not called on her for quite some time. So to enter into his presence is taking her life into her own hand. It's interesting in the book of Esther, God is never mentioned, but it is implied God's, God's providence is all through the book. And it's implied that God has placed all of them in their respective positions for that moment in time. Esther's there on purpose. Mordecai's there on purpose. Even Haman's there on purpose. There is danger and there is uncertainty. But within this situation... There is amazing potential for a miracle. And this is exactly where I see us as a church tonight. We live in a nation where it's becoming more and more dangerous to name the name of Christ, for sure. But I'm talking about this situation regarding the Family Life Center. There is danger. There is uncertainty. Unless you know how we're going to pay for it, there is uncertainty. Okay? But there is also the amazing potential for a miracle. To ask any church, let alone ours, to embark on a building project that's going to land between two and three million dollars. At a time when there is uncertainty and even danger seems foolhardy. 
But that danger and uncertainty is dwarfed by the potential for a miraculous move of God. Our question tonight, why do we need a Family Life Center, is a fair one. I'm going to attempt to answer that using four perspectives. Using four perspectives. So let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, I sure do need your help. I want to be a help to your people. I want to rightly divide your word. I want to express the vision that you've laid on my heart. So Lord, would you help us tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why do we need a family life center? Let me begin with the first perspective. A present necessity. A present necessity. You can turn to Nehemiah 1 if you like, or we'll just kind of go over it real quickly. When you look at Nehemiah, you see a man who was in the court of the Persian king. Somebody from Jerusalem comes and tells him of the state of the city, particularly its walls and the people that are still within them. And he is brokenhearted and endeavors to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. I was talking with somebody just the other day about this. The most difficult thing about rebuilding those walls was not the construction. The Bible says they built the walls in 52 days. The two most difficult things about rebuilding those walls was, first of all, they had to get rid of the old stuff. Those blocks that had been compromised by fire and battle. That stuff had to come out because it wasn't a suitable foundation upon which to build. That rubble had to come out. And then they, of course, were um, opposed by fellows like Sanballat and Tobiah. And uh, they would have killed them all if they could have. And, beloved, whenever we endeavor to do something great for God, those are the two things that are going to be the greatest challenges. The Family Life Center... The construction is not our two greatest obstructions. The first is that we have to be willing to let go of old thinking that keeps us from new works of God. And by the way, old has nothing to do with your age. I know 20-year-olds that think in an old way that's not helpful. I'm not talking about age. Did the preacher just say he's getting rid of everybody in the silver tone? No, I did not say that. It's quite the opposite. I need you. I need you. I'm going to need your help. But we have got to be willing to let go of the rubble of thinking that doesn't line up with God's word and God's will. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not going to get anything built. The second thing is there will be opposition. There will be opposition within, and there will be opposition without. So what do you do with that? I'll get into this later, but we pray right on through it. We pray, and we stay on the wall. We pray, and we stay on the wall. But when you look at Nehemiah, there's something very interesting about him. Why did Nehemiah build the wall? If you look, if you look at chapter 1, 
It's not what's said here that interests me. It's what, what is not said. Chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. And we keep on reading through the prayer. And if you read all the way, all the way through uh, verse, uh, um, verse 11, at no point do you see any verse that says, And God told Nehemiah to build the wall. So why did he build the wall? The very first impetus was that there was a need. Nehemiah recognized a need. And I think some of us, if we're not careful regarding this or anything else that we do here, we're waiting for God to shine a light down from heaven and say, thou shalt do this, when what we should be doing is looking for needs. And that doesn't have to be a 2 or $3 million need. It can be a need of your neighbor next door. It can be a need of somebody down the pew from you. We need to get into the habit of looking to see where needs are. So what happens after we see a need? Then God steps in and directs us as to how to meet that need. That's what he did with Nehemiah. Because by the time you get to chapter 2, and Nehemiah is walking around, actually he's riding around, then he gets off and he's probing the walls and the rubble and everything. In in chapter 2, verse number 12, we see God's got involved. Now, and I rose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So what happened? Nehemiah saw a need, he got a burden, he went to Jerusalem, And God said, all right, now this is what I want you to do. Can I tell you, friend, that's exactly how it happened with me. I saw a need. I came to you with that need. And since then, God has been systematically telling me what to do. I've never wavered on my belief that we need to do this, but I can, I, can, I, can, I confess that I have wavered at times regarding my timing. The first time I mentioned the Family Life Center was just before COVID. You talk about something, throwing a wet blanket over something. Good night. Y'all, we need to build. We need to move forward. All right, church is closed. There have been times I've quietly wondered, Lord, did I get ahead of you on this? Have I? And then every time, every time I get to thinking like that, Bethany comes to me and says, we just got a check in the mail for $5,000 for the Family Life Center. So what am I supposed to think from that? That's God saying, no, you let me worry about all that. You just keep beating that drum. Let's talk about the present necessity. Initially for Nehemiah, it was a burden. Then God gave them instructions. So why do we need to build the family 
life center. Number one, space. Now, where there's a disconnect is when we look in here, we look around and we say, well, I mean, this room isn't full. That's true. It's not. I sure want it to be. By the way, God wants it to be too. But I can tell you this, we're out of space over there. Sunday school is getting filled up, but more than that, the school is getting filled up. The school is filled up. We, we, we're, we're out of room. If an organization, whether it's a church or a school or a school that's part of a church, cannot accommodate its growth, it begins to atrophy. If we don't make adjustments to accommodate the growth that we have, then it stops growing and it starts going the other direction. That's true of churches too. If we don't plan for our certain growth, and I do believe it's certain. I believe God's doing a work here. If we don't plan for our certain growth, we won't just cease to grow. We'll begin to shrink. And we need additional Sunday school classroom, office, and storage space. Listen, I think the world of Aaron Davies, and I know you do too, he needs an honest-to-goodness office. Right now, we've got him buried in the pit of despair down there in the back of the hallway. It is not at all suitable for what he does, but i got nowhere else to put him. And bless his heart, Foster is in a closet. (laughs) We need additional space. There's, There's a space issue. Another reason, storms. What do you mean storms? Well, during the school year, now I'm going to mention the school a lot, but I'm going to work hard to make sure you understand this is as much a church thing as a school thing. But during the school year, if it rains outside, if it's too cold outside, if the precipitation or the weather doesn't play along, these kids don't get recess. They need recess. And if you don't believe it, sit in the class with them after they haven't gotten their recess. (laughs) So storms, there's a need there. Let me give you another one. How about student ministries? The lack of a gym greatly limits activities for children and youth ministries. And a multi-purpose building exponentially increases options for ministry activities. Exponentially. Maybe not the biggest reason, but here's one. How about sports? Every year it is an act of God to find us a place to practice and a place to play. And that's just for basketball. We haven't even talked about volleyball yet. In fact, honestly, that's the one thing that's keeping us from having a volleyball team, really, is we've got to find facilities to do it in. And for some reason, it's harder the first part of the year. And so it limits our athletic program. And if you know anything about schools, a robust athletic program is necessary and desirable for a well-rounded educational experience. It is. So we've got space, storms, student ministries, sports, and soirees. What's a soiree? That's wedding receptions. That's fellowship meals. That's fifth Sunday fellowships when it's raining, like we had the other night. But we just, like a bunch of idiots, just stayed out there in the rain. Water just streaming. That's ah, not that bad. It's okay. We're just out there. <laughs> the fact is, the the growth of our church, our current facilities for large group events are not sufficient. 
ladies' meetings, ladies' teas, men's fellowships, things like that. And any event scaled to our church's size is going to need a larger venue. We're thankful for the fellowship hall. It's not big enough. So we've got a present necessity. Then the second reason that I would offer is practical application. What would we do with such a place? All right, Andy, let's, let's, let's say the Lord drops this money on us. We build the thing over there. What are we going to do with it? Well, we begin with internal ministry. Internal ministry. Now, I don't know if this is going to be very visible. It's probably not, and it's the best I could do. Um, and the red dot's not going to shine on the screen either. So, If you squint real hard... Or if you turn around and look at the one behind you, maybe, you ought to do. I should have had something printed up, huh? This is the floor plan for the Family Life Center. Um, The floor plan and the rendering um, are pretty much done. The only thing we would change as we looked it over, the only two things we would change is we would raise the portico to where a bus could get under it. And we don't have to have as many toilets in the bathroom per code as what we do. But I'm thinking if the Lord gives us enough money, let's go ahead and have them because, I mean... Who in the world has too many toilets? Um, but this is, this is the basic layout. I'm going to give it to you real quick. All right, in the middle is the gymnasium floor. That's obvious. And it would be a multi-purpose floor. As much as I love, you know, a good polyurethane oak floor that looks like, you know, it fell right out of the Staples Center, that's not practical. We need something that can be used for any number of things that women's Sunday shoes are not going to leave scuffs on it and that kind of thing. That's stuff we just got to think about. Um, If you've ever been to Calvary Baptist in Colonial Heights where we take the young people for that teen meeting, their floor there is very much what we'd be interested in. It's a good floor and multi-purpose. All right? You've got seating on this side that uh, seats uh, 496 people. Wouldn't that be awesome if we needed more seating than that? 496 people. On the other side, you see a box in the middle that looks like steps on the front. That's a stage. That's a stage. And on either side are large rooms. Those large rooms are currently designated to be the new junior church room and the new new teen room. Okay? We can paint that one orange if we want to. No, we can't. All right? On the outside of the gym proper, you see classroom space. That's what all of those represent. The middle rooms are, have walls that can be removed, dividers, that kind of thing. So you can make it a big room, a smaller room, whatever you need to do. Um, so potentially you have eight classrooms and then two on each end. So that's, that's another ten classrooms potentially. Okay. Over here you have locker room space. Now this is where somebody might say, oh, preacher, you could, you could cut here. Do you really need locker rooms? Yes, you do. And you need locker rooms, you need four of them. And you need showers in all of them. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not just so kids can take a shower after a ball game. We're going to talk in a minute about us being here for our community if there's ever an emergency situation. And if I'm going to pack people in cots under Red Cross care, we're going to have somewhere for them to take a shower. Okay. Um, You have a mechanical room back here. Um, You have... Right in the middle, you have a mechanical room. That's also laundry. Hey, laundry. So we we don't have to take the uniforms back to our house anymore. Kids stink our house up so bad. Um, (laughs) All right. Over on this side, you have two bathrooms, one ladies, one men. You have a commercial kitchen. 
ladies and some men, all right? On either side, you have office space and conference space for Brother Davies and the teachers. And then you have the main lobby and the portico. So that's the basic setup of it, okay? I don't think there'd be many alterations to that at all. So what do we have? Uh, the internal ministry, um, classroom space for Sunday school and for Granite, athletic events, meals, receptions, master clubs, um, youth events, lock-ins, new junior church, new teen room, and overflow for growth. Now, what do I mean by that? If God blesses us to where the church grows at the rate the school is and we outgrow this auditorium, we move over to the Family Life Center that already has a stage that's already wired up for sound and lights and all of that, and we have church there. Now, the added benefit of that is people hate going to church in a gymnasium, so they feel free to give for a new auditorium. <laughs> May I remind you, folks, the church is not the building. The church is where God's people gather. Okay? So that's the internal ministry that it would benefit, practical applications. But then, and, and frankly, I'm as excited about this, external outreach events like upward basketball pine card derby things like that things that draw people in open gym nights what you mean just let kids from the community come in and as long as they're willing to behave and not tear everything up yes i mean letting kids from the community come in here and play basketball okay um theme banquets whether that's men's stakeouts, ladies' teas, whatever, and then an emergency shelter. I, I have a burden. I have a burden. I remember one year in particular we had an ice storm and people were without power for a long time. Um, I would love to be ready to step in and say, you know what? We got heat. We got warmth. We got power. We got showers. Come on. Pastor, you know how some people are, and you might run into this, and you're right. Listen, if we start looking at ministry based on what we might run into, we might as well stop. We might as well stop. Okay. But I want to cultivate the idea that when we're in trouble, we go to fellowship. That's what I want to cultivate. Because really, isn't that what we want? When somebody's in trouble, they know they can come to the people of God. Why do we need a family life center? There's a present necessity, and there's practical applications. But then there's also the matter of popular impact. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean the impact that it has on the population around us. Jesus told us to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Now, as I say this, this is not going to be, I'm not meaning this to sound as critical as what it's, it's going to sound, and I don't mean for it to be. But I want you to think about this. The last, uh, up, until, up until we did work over here in the school, redoing the floors and painting everything and new carpet and all that, up until that, the last renovation of any size at all was this auditorium. And that was, I think, in 2000. So that's 22 years ago. Now, I'm thankful for that. It needed to happen. But frankly, it needs to happen again. It does. Now, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. If I've got to choose between New Auditorium and Family Life Center, I'll take the Family Life Center all day long. I'll carpet the place out of my own pocket if I need to. Okay. Sorry, dear. All right. Now, here's the thing. 
that renovation, that renovation happened inside. This community has not seen anything built on this property since 1973. Now, if you count the concrete pad out here, okay. But as far as iron going up and all that, community hadn't seen it. Now, they might have seen a steeple here or something. I'm, I'm just saying, when's the last time somebody drove past here and said, hey, something new's going up there? Now, that's not meant to be critical because there wasn't a need, but now there is. Now there is, and I am telling you, there are few things that impact a community and draw them to your ministry more than for them to see something new happening. Now, you don't get into building projects just to do that, but it is an added benefit. Our community desperately needs to see us building and growing. And this project would go far in impacting our community. Once again, the use of it as an emergency shelter, that would have a popular impact. I had a conversation with a man just today, just today, who told me that a member of his family has a certain idea about this church for one reason, they haven't heard any different. Our community desperately needs to know what's going on here. You see, there's a present necessity. There's practical applications. There's a popular impact. But perhaps more than anything, is personal edifying. We need to build this thing for us. Now, what do I mean by that? The word edify means to build. And beloved, we must never stop trying to build. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm your friend. And what I'm about to say may make you doubt that. I moved here from outside of Appalachia. I didn't grow up here. But something that I realized really quickly when we moved here is there is a mindset. I'm not saying it belongs to everybody in this room, but there is a mindset within Appalachia, and it's prevalent. It's the standard of good enough. That's not everybody that is here. That's not what I'm saying. Many of you, you strive for excellence, and I thank God for that. But I am telling you, I've run into so many people around here, and the reason a business fails or the reason that this doesn't get off the round or whatever is because yeah, just it's, it's too frilly, it's too much. What we had was good enough. And that may be fine in some applications. When it comes to serving God, good enough is never good enough. No. 
We build this family life center. It doesn't need to be opulent. I don't think it should, but it also isn't going to be four walls and just barely good enough to do what we want. It needs to be something that takes people's breath away because we serve a God that can do that. (laughs) We're in trouble when we stop trying to build. For the Branson's a basketball fan we grew up in roughly the same time period we got to see Michael Jordan when he was playing I'm not talking about the broke down Michael Jordan of the Washington Wizards I'm talking about Chicago Bulls Air Jordan does Michael Jordan reach that level if he ever he reaches a point where he says I'm good enough nope they just retire NBA just announced they're retiring Bill, num- Bill Russell's number across the league I think that's good I think it's good LeBron never should have wore it. All right. Bill Russell's arguably the greatest player in the, in the history of the game. Certainly top three. Okay. Bill Russell wouldn't have been Bill Russell if he'd ever decided it was good enough. And yet Christians are so quick to look at something and say, it's good enough. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as that dude over there. I'm not as bad as my coworker. I'm good enough. And the ministry is good enough. And my, my role in that ministry, I'm doing good enough. God, deliver us from that. Yeah. It's never good enough. What we, what we learn as kids, good, better, best, never let it rest till you're good as you're better and you're better as you're best. Right? We need to build because we need to build. We need to not be willing to say, okay, you know what? Our facilities, they're good enough. I thank God for our facilities. We have more than most churches in America. I understand that, but it's not good enough. God wants to do more. Remember that a lack of growth doesn't mean status quo. It means something's dying. Asher, as far as I know, is a healthy young man, and we thank God for that. But if he stops growing, it doesn't mean, oh, well, that's as big as he gets. No, it means something is terribly wrong, and he's dying. And we desperately need to shake off any unfortunate mindset of good enough and getting by. For most of you, this will be the first time that you see it. The first time that I saw it, I cried. There it is. It's a metal building with a brick skirt around the bottom of it. And I can see it over there. And, and, and do you know what really got me? It's exactly what I pictured. Two and a half million dollars, Andy, that's a lot of money. It is. By any estimation, it is. No question. Now, some folks maybe haven't been involved in this kind of thing in a long time. And listen, that's actually not exorbitant. You know. And why do we not have an exact number? Because we don't know where building materials are going to be when we break ground. We're working on that to try and get a more specific number to it. 
And by the way, we'll save money where we can, but where we won't save money is cutting corners. Electricians ought to do electrical work. You agree with me? Brick masons ought to do masonry work. If, if there's somewhere you can help, and it's great, but we're going to have a plumber do the plumbing. Church I pastored in Alabama, fellow looked at me with all, all the pride in his heart. I helped lay the brick on that building right there. If I'm lying, I'm dying. It was coming off. I'm like, you don't say. <laughs> there it is. Now, you say, well, Andy, if you get this, if we get this, will you shut up? No. No, I won't. Why do I think this is the will of God? I can give you all kinds of reasons. But I'm not crazy enough to take something like this on unless I believe God's making me. I've never met a pastor in all my years of interacting with pastors. I've never met one that said, you know what? I had a building program. It's the most fun I've had in my whole life. <laughs> no, it's always, it almost killed me. And this may kill me. And if it does, name it after me. <laughs> Don't do that either. Don't do that either. But no, I'm not going to be quiet. I recognize, by the way, do you know how much that rendering cost us? Nothing. An architect offered to do that for nothing. And if you know anything about that kind of thing, you know that's, that's, that's the Lord. We're going to send him money because we appreciate his work. But that cost me nothing. The floor plan cost us nothing. It's the craziest thing. He's a pastor friend of mine, and he got his degree from Virginia Tech, and he come up with that good of work. Go figure. <laughs> but he told me, he said, Andy, I can do this. I can do this, but when you get into the project proper, I'm going to need to bring somebody else in. Or you're going to need to bring somebody else in that is more. He said, I do a lot of landscape stuff and terraces and things like that. You need to bring somebody in that's more specialized to this kind of building. I'm sitting at a basketball game, minding my own business. One of the new parents of the kids in our school comes up to me. First words he ever speaks to me and says, do you know what I do? I don't, sir. I'm an architect. I built schools. We don't have to look for a sign, but sometimes God drops them in our laps. Not for nothing. That land over there is paid for. And I just have a hard time believing, Brother John, that God gave us land that he intends to just sit there and look pretty. It's great for bouncy houses and sledding in the winter, but I think God wants more out of it. And as I say this, I realize full well that, that can, I, can, I just be, can I just be candid with you? I struggle with wondering if I'm the one keeping this from happening. 
Any pastor worth his salt is constantly looking in the mirror to see whether or not he's the one keeping God from pouring out his blessing. I do that all the time. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, but I do that all the time. But I have this crazy idea that God has positioned us, just like we go back to Esther, God has positioned us right here, right now, for such a time as this. And if so, if so, why would we stop at this? If God has grown us to need that, why wouldn't he grow us to need that? Because if God can do that, he can do that. Preacher, we didn't vote on that auditory. I know. And it may not even look like that. He threw that in there as a placeholder, by the way, for free. Can I do your master plan? Knock yourself out. And there it is. We're right now, we're right about here. You're telling me that that sitting over there wouldn't get the community going? How are we going to do it? We're not. God will. So uh, how are we going to do it? How's God going to do it? Number one, pray every day pray some of us at times get up at 3.33 in the morning and ask God for things like this pray and pray a little more and pray a little more now does that mean that God is going to drop the money in our lap and we build this thing debt free maybe not maybe, maybe God wants us to take out a loan I don't know but if we do, it won't be until after I begged him for the money flat out. Because God can do that. Pray. Number two, talk. Bring it up a lot. Talk about it. Talk about it amongst each other. Talk about it to other people. Talk about the Family Life Center until people tell you to shut up about the Family Life Center. Just talk about it. It works. I had a lady out of state call me up and said, what's this thing about the Family Life Center? Really? Well, let me tell you. And I talked to her all about it. I told her everything I knew to tell her. And you know what I said? Tell your friends. We're going to put out a video. We've not done it yet. We're going to put out a video on our Facebook page. We've got a lot of people that follow our church from other ministries and other places. I'm going to put it out there, and here's all I'm going to ask. I'm going to say, listen, I'm going to ask you to give. I'm not saying to do anything but pray. Would you pray that God provides what we need to build this? If the, power, if the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, how about the effectual fervent prayers of many righteous? Okay. Third thing, give. Now, up to this point, I've never asked that of anybody. But maybe it's time for us to start prayerfully considering what God would have us give towards this. And many already have without me even asking. We give. As we look at that picture, 
I got three questions. If not now, when? If not us, then who? And if not ever, why? I want to give you one more reason. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty blunt. It's, it's not terribly spiritual. Why do we need a family life center? It's what's next. It's what's next. I don't know of any one thing that would bring us more boom to this ministry than that. So pray. Talk. And if God leads you, give. So you can, you can consider this the unveiling of the Family Life Center 2.0.